0: Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 34. In today's episode, I'm going to discuss pancreatitis in cats, including how to properly treat it. A study which revealed shampoo is as good as internal antibiotics in treating skin infections. And the heartwarming story about a penguin swimming 5,000 miles to see the man who saved him. Now Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and search for Veterinary Secrets or also on Stitcher. Once again, you just go to Stitcher and search for Veterinary Secrets. Definitely, I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. If you have yet to do so, I encourage you to get my free book and three free videos on how to treat your dogs and cats at home with natural remedies. You can get that at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast, Pancreatitis and Cats. The pancreas is a glandular organ just under the stomach. It has two primary functions. One is to produce hormones, primarily insulin, which regulate blood sugar, and the others produce digestive enzymes. And they're secreted into the, the small intestine and the stomach and they help break down food, thinking that your dog or cat or us are ingesting. The problem with pancreatitis is that it can cause a whole host of problems, primarily because of these digestive enzymes. So what's happening is that these enzymes, they can escape from the pancreas and then they become activated. They become active. And what they're going to do is they're going to digest whatever's around them. And this is exactly what happens when the pancreas gets inflamed. The enzyme They escape, they then become activated, and then they start to digest the pancreas, the adjacent organs, such as liver the tissue, whatever area and whatever tissue they're in, contract, in contact with. Also, if the pancreas is severely affected, it can also affect the production of insulin. And in some of these animals, we can also see diabetes. And this can be temporary or permanent. There can be also more, even more serious complications from pancreatitis. Fortunately, this seldom happens, but it's important that you're aware of them. One, it can, it can affect the lungs. Um, what it What it does is affect a thing called surfactants on the lung tissue. And they're there to keep these one specific thing called alveoli. That's a primary part of your cat's lungs, and they are supposed to stay open every time your cat exhales. But if their surfactants aren't present, the lungs, these alveoli, potentially close up and collapse, and essentially the lung is collapsing, and it can cause respiratory failure. The second big complication, unfortunately is very uncommon too, is called DIC, or disseminated intravascular coagulation. Um, And basically what at the same time you've got blood that's clotting and then blood that is not clotting. All throughout the body this whole cascade of events can happen. It can happen in many serious, sort of one of the last stages of many serious disorders, um, you know, such as trauma in your cat. Um, But that's one of the last common side effects, but one that you need to be aware of. And the last really uncommon side effect is called pancreatic encephalopathy or brain damage. And it can occur if the fats protecting the brain are also affected. You know, they're digested by these, broken down by these digestive enzymes. Fortunately, most of the time, pancreatitis is just confined to the pancreas itself and the adjacent organs, you know, primarily the liver. Um, It can be a sudden onset called acute or it can be chronic where it's sort of ongoing and fermenting. I think that's much more typical in people. And then it can be really, it can really mild, you know, your cat's just a bit uncomfortable, you might even not know anything's going on, or be really severe, severe intestinal upset. So what causes pancreatitis in cats? Well it's much different than what we do see in dogs and we see in people. So in dogs and people, I mean the most common thing was you know they we or dogs ingest a high fat meal triggers the pancreas you have this acute stomach pain abdominal pain this acute vomiting that's not non-stopping that's more typical dogs and people when in our cats it's not the case 90 percent, most of the time we never know what causes it some of the possible causes one a feline distemper virus that can cause it there's a parasite intestinal parasite called toxoplasma and that can cause it yeah, in type of trauma your cat can be hit by a car you can see that no question there's a big association with pancreatitis and inflammatory bowel disease I'm going to talk a little bit about that after with some of the solutions um, the thought is is that when there is abnormal intestinal disease you can have a secondary bacterial overgrowth some of this bacteria can get up into the pancreatic duct affecting the pancreas causing pancreatitis um, you got these old flea and tick medications they're called organophosphates but they're also you know used still used in commonly used in houses etc um, you might use in your lawn or your garden and some of the old flea collars those can cause pancreatitis, and there's a couple of some veterinary drugs to be aware of. An immunosuppressive drug called azathioprine can cause it. A diuretic called furosemide, an antibiotic called tetracycline, a seizure medication called valproic acid, and a heart medication not seldom used called procainamide. So just being aware of all those and avoiding those, especially if you specifically if you've got a cat that's prone to pancreatitis. So if your cat has pancreatitis, you know what are you gonna see? mean, you know, as I said earlier, it's not the same as as dog dogs and people where you're going to see this you know stomach pain acute vomiting fever may or may not see a fever but more often than not the temperature goes down instead of going up the most common clinical sign we're seeing in our cats is they're just not themselves they're lethargic weak and they're not eating or their appetite is is dramatically diminished and pretty much all cats with pancreatitis they stop eating, they lose their appetites. About nearly half of those cats, um, with a condition called fatty liver, it's also known as hepatic lipidosis, have pancreatitis is the underlying cause. So, I mean, that's another disorder that I'll talk talk about in future podcasts, but specifically with fatty liver. You know, what happens is your cat stops eating, the liver itself gets infiltrated with fat, and then they become especially ill because they've got primary liver disease, and you may see some of the, some of the signs of liver disease, like just jaundice. But what they're saying is almost 50% of those cats with fatty liver have pancreatitis as the underlying cause. So as far as diagnosing pancreatitis in your cat, there is a specific test called SPEC-FPL, which stands for Specific Feline Pancreatic Lipase Test. It can be run as a test that's sent out or even in many clinics can now do it in-house and you can get an actual result pretty quick. Other options, some clinics will still ultrasound, so they can ultrasound your cat and see an inflamed pancreas and that becomes pretty obvious they've got pancreatitis. You know in some cases your cat they may there may need to be a biopsy to confirm it for the most part, it's just just that fairly simple spec fpl test so if your cat has a positive spec fPL test and they have no symptoms, treatment may not be necessary, but you should really be thinking about doing some good things and limit the chance of your cat developing pancreatitis, you know such as a less reactive hypoallergenic type diet. Looking, adding in those good bacteria, those probiotics, ultimately uh, prevent your cat from getting pancreatitis. So then, how how is a cat treated? How would you treat your cat if they've got pancreatitis? So the the big general three principles here are one: if there isn't an underlying cause, you know, deal with that. You know, such as organophosphates or you know, the drug tetracycline or furosemide. Get them off of that. The big mainstay is general support and just symptomatic relief. You know, so it might be IV fluids, um, controlling the vomiting, controlling the pain, if that's the case. Then, lastly, it could be much bigger things. You know, monitoring and, and ensuring that there's not these secondary complications. So, if we've got especially ill cat, we might be checking for DIC and you know, making sure they don't have that secondary brain disorder. They don't have the respiratory. Disorder is affect where the surfactants are affected, and that would be much more intensive care that's happening at your veterinary practice. But in in terms of what are the alternative options, those are also used as well too. I mean, I, mean, I think the first big thing is one recognizing does your cat have pancreatitis and it's a real challenge for many clinics because we're so used to seeing diagnosing a dog with pancreatitis. Uh, we can check a couple specific enzymes, amylase, lipase. They present with abdominal pain and vomiting. They've got pancreatitis. Cat is just sort of this waxing and waning. It may be more chronic. They're just not eating, not quite themselves. So then you really need to look at some of the alternative options along with what you can potentially do at home to prevent this from coming back, specifically, specifically if you've got a cat with chronic pancreatitis. So the first mainstay is diet. Um, so you want to look at a hypoallergenic hype diet, a unique type protein that they haven't been on before. Uh, home op, uh, a home one as an option is looking at a poultry base, something such as duck. So primarily a protein-based food, you know, 80% poultry, not this quote-unquote low-fat diet that we would feed to dogs. You can add in about 20% veggies. Don't add any carbohydrates. You can add in 250 milligrams of calcium, a half of a therograin, that's a one-a-day t- human multivitamin mineral tablet. A half to one teaspoon of fish oil plus 500 milligrams of taurine. You can just pulverize the vitamin mineral tablets, mix well, store them in the fridge, and just make sure you avoid hot spots if you're going to warm them up with a microwave. I've got a couple of other things to think about. One, digestive enzyme supplements appear to be helpful in some cases. That's a key thing to consider. I just there's some been many discussions around vitamin B12 and chronic pancreatitis. So the big point is that the healthy pancreas it produces a substance called intrinsic factor. And that's necessary for the absorption of vitamin B12 from the diet. But if you've got an unhealthy pancreas, it doesn't make enough, enough intrinsic, fact, intrinsic factor, and you can see a B12 deficiency. Um, so in that case, first of all, the only way to know for sure is testing it. And secondly, the treatment actually, typically B12, to get enough B12 means an injection by your veterinarian. The testing is pretty simple. The treatment's pretty inexpensive. They can even show you how to be giving the B12 injections if you need do. So that's one big point. Antioxidants. There's a couple of antioxidants that seem to reduce the severity and frequency of pancreatitis. The vitamin C and selenium. The vitamin C dose is 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. The selenium dose is 5 micrograms of selenium per 10 pounds of body weight daily. There's a homeopathic called Nux Vomica, and it's one which will give in vomiting in general. Um, So the dose of that would be one 30C tablet given three times daily in an acute and and we're saying it's acute onset for three days. Now I want to discuss a couple of things you would give for inflammatory bowel disease because we know so many of these cats that have IBD um, that's ultimately the cause of the, the pancreatitis wanna so look at adding in the probiotics which I just discussed earlier specifically lactobacillus acidophilus or and bifidobacterium and I have some of those I have those specific probiotics in my supplement ultimate feline health formula you want to make sure you've got an active culture in enough. So they're looking at about 100 million called CFUs, colony colony forming units, um, per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Colostrum. There is some research now showing that colostrum can be beneficial for IBD. I also have that in my supplement Ultimate Feline Health Formula. There's an amino acid called glutamine. It may help treat diarrhea caused by irritation of the intestinal lining in terms of, of IBD. So if you're looking at a cat dose, you're looking at about 300 milligrams three times a day there's a flavonoid called quercetin. That's a flavonoid that's found in apple peel. We're looking at a dose of that of 50 to 100 milligrams twice a day. Chamomile, many of you probably taking that as a tea. That can also be added in. Um, there's some thought that it may help with IBD. And if I had a cat that had um, chronic pancreatitis, I would be looking at adding chamomile right to their water. So then I know they're going to get some potential benefit from that. And lastly, there's a couple of homeopathics I want to mention. One is called mercurius. The other one is phosphorus. The other one is arsenicum but mercurius in particular is one that that people are using for IBD so it may be beneficial for your cat. So there's some options and I I think the big point here is most of you if you're listening to the podcast and you've part of you is just I'm helping you have more additional information about diseases in general but if you've got a cat with chronic pancreatitis just be aware of some of these other alternative options that you may not have thought of and just discuss them with your veterinarian based on whatever uh, other treatments you're providing and also just knowing that if you have a cat owner you're You're a cat person, you have a cat, that he's not be, he or she is not being treated like a small dog. Because it's a very different disorder. Pancreatitis in cats is very different from pancreatitis in dogs. Let's get into the second part of today's podcast. And this one new veterinary study says that topical shampoo may be as effective as systemic antibiotics in treating a surface skin infection or super, superficial pyoderma in dogs. So what happens? So the emergence of antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria involved in the development of superficial pyoderma, that surface skin infection, has led to increased interest in finding ways to treat this disease without the use of systemic medications. Currently there are no studies that compare the use of topical antiseptics with systemic antibiotics in the treatment of canine superficial pyoderma. So, what they did. So dogs were enrolled in the study. They had a, a clinical diagnosis of superficial pyoderma and it was based on the presence of little bumps on the skin called pustules or papules. You can get circular circular areas called epidermal colorets. Some people think they look like ringworm and they, or crusts and, and they also made sure that they had... Pr- the detection of at least one neutrophil. That means that's a type of white cell that we know is there fighting this bacteria. Dogs with this deep pyoderma, or deep skin infections, yeast, or ectoparasites so such as fleas or lice or ticks, and they're excluded from the study. Specimens for culture and sensitivity testing were collected on the initial visit, day one, and then a total skin infection or pyoderma score based on the severity of the lesions, as well as a score of how itchy they were called a paritis score, were assigned. At a baseline and necessity to visit. Dogs were evaluated on days 7, 28, and 56. The dogs were randomized into two groups. The first group was treated for four weeks with a 4% chlorhexidine shampoo. Essentially, so that's what I've talked about in the past. It's also known as Zolan under the brand name Hibitane. It's a real common, and quite safe, and effective antiseptic shampoo. The other group that were treated with 25% migs per kilo orally twice a day with a drug called Clavamox, which is amoxicillin and clavulanic acid and they also had dogs with mrsa so that's meth- methicillin resistant staph um, which are pretty hard ones to treat period and they were reassigned non-randomized they went to both topical and non-topical the so here's what they found though is that the researchers found that the staph dogs so that's a more common skin infections in the cultures of 48 dogs eight were mrsa so it's yeah it's almost a quarter had this methicillin-resistant staph infections, It's really hard ones, hard ones to treat. But they found that there was no significant difference in this score between the two groups in response to therapy. Both groups did demonstrate a significant improvement in the total pyderma score, as well as improvement in the in the pruritus score in terms of how itchy they were. The authors acknowledge that the baseline pydermis scores uh, may have they said may have overestimated how how well the topical shampoo worked but the take-home message was that the use of topical chlorhexidine shampoo appeared to be as effective as systemic antibiotic therapy for treating canine superficial pyoderma even in cases of MRSA which is like a huge further studies with larger groups of dogs are warranted so once again one reinforcing really simple alternative options of treatment such as shampoo and two um, you know having you think twice if your veterinarian and says yes your dog has a skin infection you need this antibiotic no, maybe, well, you don't. And the last one is this heartwarming story about this penguin who swam... By, who swims, not just swim, swims 5,000 miles to see the man who saved him. And it's brought to you from a beach in Brazil. It's a story of a South American Magellanic penguin who swims 5,000 5, miles each year to be reunited with the man who saved his life. Retired bricklayer and part-time fisherman, Joe Pereira de Souza, he's 71 years old. He lives in an island village just outside of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And he found this tiny little penguin, covered in oil and close to that death, lying on the rocks in his local beach in 2011. He cleaned the oil off the penguin's feathers, and he fed him daily a diet of fish to build his strength. He named him Dindim. After a week, he tried to release the penguin back into the sea, but the bird wouldn't leave. He stayed with me for 11 months, and then, just after he changed his coat with new feathers, he disappears, Jao recalled. And just a few months later, Dindim was back. He spotted the fisherman on the beach one day and followed him home. For the past five years, Dindim has spent eight months of the year with J.O. and is believed, to spend the rest of the time breeding off the coast of Argentina and Chile. It's thought he swims up to 5,000 miles each year to be reunited with the man who saved his life. I love the penguin like it's my own child and I believe the penguin loves me. Zhao said. No one else is allowed to touch him, Text him if they do. He lays on my lap, lets me give him showers, allows me to feed him sardines and to pick him up. It's thought dimdim believed with fishermen is also a penguin. Everyone said he wouldn't return but he's coming back to visit me for the past four years. He arrives in June and leaves to go home in February and every year becomes more affectionate as he appears to be even happier to see me. A biologist professor Kujowski who was interviewed by a local tv station said I've never seen anything like this before. I think the penguin believes Zhao was part of his family and probably a penguin as well. When he sees him, he wags his tail like a dog and honks with delight. Yes, and just like that, the world seems to be a kinder place again. Yeah, it's a great story. Well, thank you guys for listening to today's podcast. I'm Dr. Jones. As I said earlier, if you've yet to do so, I encourage you to subscribe to my podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, you can either post a comment under on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com or blog where the podcast would be posted. You can send me an email. That's at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. And then as I also said earlier, if you've yet to do so, I encourage you to download my free my free book and three free videos where you can actually start using natural remedies in your dogs or cats. And that's at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. So once again, I look forward to talking to you again next week. And this is Dr. Andrew Jones.